Motorcycles and Misfits from the Recycle Garage in sunny Santa Cruz, California. No, it's not. No, it's not. Carmel, no, California. It's not. I'm lying. We're at the Moto Talbot Museum <laughs> with a whole bunch of cool, village. cool old bikes around here. <laughs> but it is sunny outside. It is. It's gorgeous. Exactly. So, hey, in the room tonight, we've got a special episode. I'm so excited. You got me. Hey, this is Liza. Coming up next, we've got Miss Emma. Hello, darlings. Then coming up after that, we've got Naked Jam. Hey, hey, hey. Don't ask, Wayne. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> You're not naked now. <laughs> also on the couch tonight, we've got Not. Hey, what's up? Look around in the bend, we've got Michael. Howdy, howdy, howdy. And we're so glad because this is a special episode. It is special. We are sitting here with Wayne Rainey. Wayne, say hi to everyone. Hello. Thanks. You Thank you for having me. Yeah. Ah, thanks for coming on. Um, <laughs> I'm, I, there's so many things to talk about uh, with Wayne. If you're, if you don't know who he is, let me just kind of run down this this shopping list. Uh, let's see. AMA Grand National Championship, three-time 500cc World Championship, Daytona 200. He's been a, a team owner. Uh, he he raced supercars. There's a curve at Laguna Seca named after him. He's currently president of the Moto America Racing. He's in the AMA Hall of Fame. He's not just that. He's a legend, which I thought you had to be dead to get, but I guess you don't. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and uh, also the International Motorsports Hall of Fame. Did I miss anything, Wayne? Uh, you might have added something in there that I'm yeah. not, I don't believe I am. I think the first thing you said was Grand National Champion. Uh, AMA Grand National Championship? That I never did. Made that up? All right. No, Wikipedia? And fix that. <laughs> and, and, and I will say husband and father, too. That's right. I was yeah. going to mention that. That's what I'm yeah. most proud of. I was yeah. going to say, yeah, that's, yeah. What, that's the important stuff. If right? I could add, he's extremely well-groomed and handsome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, but for those who do know, have heard the name Wayne Rainey, you've also probably heard names like uh, Wes Cooley, Kevin Schwantz, Kenny Roberts... Eddie Lawson. To me, these are household names in motorcycling, and these are Americans. And I ask people, can you name a household name in racing, an American, an American in racing today? It's, it's hard to. So the first question, Wayne, is why do you think that is? And, and I think this will segue into the junior cup but why do you think that is why is it why what's where's the lack of american racers right now uh opportunity i think is has to be thrown in there but i think if we look at um why you know when you that list that you ran down of american names and you know that was from the 80s and and 90s and they were um they were all champions and so when they went to europe they were able to you know most of those guys went on to be world champion but when the Amer I think the Americans dominated for 15, 20 years in the World Championship. So uh, I believe that Europe finally went, you know, we have to do something to try to be competitive in this class, uh, in Grand Prix, in the, in the highest level, 500 Grand Prix. 
so they, you know, I think the the federations, the national federations, uh, started working on programs to uh, from the mini moto on up through uh, right. into into GPs. So uh, they did that. They were and they've been. I think Dorna being a Spanish company. Uh, so this, there seems to be, well, as we look on the grid now, there's nothing but Spanish and also Italians. Mm. There's a few uh, uh, English uh, riders. Uh, there is, I think, no Americans in MotoGP at the moment. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's sad, you know, but I think um, uh, the U.S. Uh, scene kind of, kind of, it, Changed hands, changed rules. Uh, right when uh, the European uh, federations were really focusing in on their rules and how they were going to approach this, and uh, so everybody got—they were very focused on what their uh, program was going to be. Whereas here in the U.S., as I found out late, later was there was a lot of missteps and rule changes and. Uh, uh, a lot of the OEs, uh, they were on board, and then they then they left. And then a lot of the teams left. Then riders couldn't didn't have teams to race at, so then uh, it just thinned out. And uh, mm. so that's a long answer, but that's kind of mm. what I think. Well, you're qualified to give that long answer. That's why we asked it. So what do you think the answer is? Well, that's... Uh, yeah, that's the big, the big question. So, well, you know, we've uh, uh, we've acquired AMA Superbike Racing, so we rebranded it Moto America. We've had it for we're starting our fourth season. Mm. We are trying to um, uh, focus on making our series competitive uh, to make um, make it a series where there's value that sponsors want to come back, the OEs want to come back in and and uh, with teams and and to showcase their their products um but it's going to take time i mean there was <clears throat> if we look at where when i stopped in 93 and then i i think it was uh kevin schwantz and then i think june uh kenny roberts jr was was uh, he had a world championship and then nikki but right. there's been nobody since so yep. and there's been a lot of years that's gone by and i just think that um it's going to take somebody very special in America, as far as a rider goes, mm -hmm. to have that shot to get back on the grid over there. I think it's very possible, but it's going to take a guy that we all see at the racetrack and go, that's the guy there. That's the guy yeah. that's going to, you know, he's going to line up on our grid. He's going to absolutely destroy everybody in our grid. And we're all going to go, that's the guy that needs to be there. And do you, do you think that person you know, could happen in the next couple of years? Or is this something that has to develop, you know, like to the to the younger things that have been going on? You know, the, the KTMRC that has been renamed, as you had mentioned. But, I mean, are the right, do we have to go back to that age group of kids to see that happen? Or Well, I think it's both. I think, um, you know, to your first question, is there somebody there now? Well, if we look at our grid with uh, uh, Cameron Bobier and, and Tony uh, Elias on the Suzuki, uh, Roger Hayden, and then you have um, Garrett Gerloff. He's like the new rookie there. If if he he really he's in a he's in a, a good and a bad situation because he's going up against guys that are very uh, um, they have a lot of experience. But if he wants to go race in MotoGP, he has to he has to not only be competitive. He has to he has to 
beat these guys more than they beat him. That's asking a lot as a rookie. But if you want to get everybody's attention, that's how it can happen. And if he wants it bad enough and he works at it hard enough, uh, why not? Yeah. Um, Before we go any further, this is very exciting racing. Can you describe the machines that these guys are racing right now? Here in Moto America, the yes. Superbikes, yeah. yeah. So, so they're they're basically we are on the same rules package as a World Superbike. So, what when you see Johnny Ray and on the Kawasaki and and the Ducatis out there, the let's see, I believe um, I know Yamaha has a team, but we are on the same rules package as the FIM World Championship. So. Mm-hmm. It's basically a production street bike that you can modify the engine, you can modify the chassis, uh, you can put on uh, uh, higher level uh, suspension components, and uh, you, you also have the, the really trick electronics package mm-hmm. to it. And uh, I think they have a, I think they have around 220 horsepower. Right. So they're they're beasts. They're they're wicked fast. And the thing I like is if you're riding a ZX10 or an R1 or a Jixer. You can recognize your machine on the track. You can recognize elements of that machine being ridden around the track. And I think that's important for people to make that connection. It's kind of always been that way. You mean other people's street bikes, not Wayne's bike. Right. Other people's (laughs) street bike. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, and it's incredibly exciting racing. We've watched it at Laguna. And, you know, unfortunately, the crowds aren't as big as they used to be. But there's still good crowds. But you can get close. You can get around the bikes. The the racing is exciting to watch. If you haven't been to some of the Motor America stuff, it's great fun. So I I wanted to get into the Junior Cup because this seems like this is planting the seeds for the future of American racing. So uh, before it was the Junior Cup, it was called the RC Cup. How long has this been around? So we, when we, um, in 2015, when we started Moto America, uh, KTM contacted me and, and they told me about this program. They had the RC 390 Cup. So we decided to jump right in on that. And they, they supported it with, uh, with a 18 wheeler at the track and, um, uh, private teams, uh, mm-hmm. families were buying these bikes, and and they could come race in Moto America. It was it's a spec bike, but it was a race bike, mm. and um, you know they they had a great program that they that they brought to to each and every race. And if the bike, if there was an engine problem with one of the bikes, they would just they would uh, replace the engine for for the that individual team. And to see these young kids racing on identical bikes was the best some of the best racing that we had right. uh, throughout the last three years and so that's uh, that's where it started and it was very very popular and then i think other manufacturers started introducing their 300 capacity bike mm-hmm. but and they were really eager to try to get into this class but we had an agreement with ktm and so i think um as the the kids were coming up through that class um the, there was other riders now starting to buy these other OEs. So mm. this program, uh, it's going to be, it's going to change this year. We've rebranded it Junior Cup, and now we've allowed Yamaha and Kawasaki and, and Honda is going to participate. Cool. Yeah, and that's something I love too. When you put um, the racers on bikes that are matched and and i'm not gonna say restricted but really it's the rider winning the race not the amount of money thrown into the bike or the technology 
Um, and for the for the Junior Cup, it's it's 14 to 22 years old. Is that right? So that's what it was for with the KTM okay. class, but we've now extended that to 25. So it's 14 to 25. Mm-hmm. You, you know, the other thing I really like about this stuff, and maybe it harkens back to your Ascot days, is it's family-oriented, right? You're saying these are individual teams. It's not, you know, so it seems like families coming together racing these bikes, which seems like it's really important for the sport, you know, to have family involvement, and you know, like you as a little kid growing up in it. And I think the more that you can involve families in the sport, it's another great way to grow it. Absolutely. This was, if this program would have been around when I was 14 years old, I would have done... I would have went, done really well in school to make sure my family would give me an opportunity to go try this. But for sure, this opportunity to to come and race in this series and race in front of all the you know the the big superbike teams and in front of all the U.S. fans. Uh, if there's talent there, you're going to get spotted for sure. And you've already had people move up, right, from the RC series. Yeah, we've had, uh, you know, Brandon Pash and um, Braden Ort, mm-hmm. and they've been very successful, and they've moved on into the 600 class. Mm. They'll be challenging for that championship this year. And um, uh, Brian Smith, uh, he won our championship last year. He's moved up. And then there's a there's a whole slew of new kids coming into the class. We, we feel that some of these races uh, this year will probably – well, I've been told we're going to have over 70 entries at some of these. Wow. So they're, they're going to have to qualify to, to make the show because you can only allow, I believe, no more than 40 bikes on the grid. That's but, a huge grid. But, yeah. and, <laughs> and by opening it up, because now you're talking about like the Ninja 300, the CBR 300. There's a bunch of the bikes. R- R3s, of course. R3s. Yeah. Um, a lot of great bikes for this series. But you mentioned Kawasaki just introduced that new 400. I think yeah. It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? BMW's even got a three on the map right now. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, but you mentioned if, if this had been around when you were young, because let's go back to how you got into racing. I think your beginnings came like many racers did on the dirt down in Southern California. So, Woo-hoo. and, and, and <laughs> Is this something that you always wanted to do, or is this something that your your family got you into? Something I always wanted to do. I've always been around motorcycles. My my father um, was a tinkerer. He he raced soapbox derby, and then he raced go karts, and then uh, he started racing motorcycles, and then he started uh, tuning. He had his own. Uh, uh, bike that he would uh, prepare and he had different racers race it at Ascot Park. Ascot was I lived down in Southern California in Downey, California and Ascot was in Gardena which was about uh, a 15 mile drive and uh, they raced every Friday night and so I would go up in the grandstands and I, I'd i watch uh, all the racers. I think I was about 6 years old when I first went and I Man. knew all the racers names, their numbers and um, that was all I thought about in school. I was I was drawn flat track bikes and and uh, yeah. you know that was it. That's now, all I now thought what about. What year would this have been? What year would that have been? So that well that okay so that that would have been about nineteen. Um, so when I first started um, going to ask, I would have been nineteen sixty six. Okay, and just so you know, Jim's daughter rides. An FT500 Ascot. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, you haven't really won until you've won at Ascot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was a beast of a track. Yeah. But that would have been a very, very interesting time because the the British dominance 
in all forms of motorcycling was really on the wane in the mid-60s, and the Japanese were coming up really strongly. That's exactly right. My father, I think the first bike that he purchased was a, um, uh, a Yamaha 60. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a street bike. I don't know the, you know, the, the model name, but um, the first bike that he built for me was a step-through Honda 50. Mm. And basically, he, you know, the step-through had the, it looked like it had the cradle. Right. So you'd yeah. set on the fuel tank. So, but where the, the down, I, I think they call it the down bone would, would um, where it was fabricated into the fuel tank that you sat on. Uh, at the bottom of that is my dad made a little seat that I could, so I was sitting down oh. in this thing with, with the handlebars <laughs> up here. So chopper style. Yeah, Fantastic. exactly. Nice. <laughs> I think I was, uh, I think I was six when that, when all that happened. Yeah. There, there are Vespas that have that seat like that. Yeah. So what was your first bike that you got racing on? So my first bike was a Z50 Honda. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I didn't know they called it that, but uh, somebody was, they mentioned that name. Uh, I was um, at a museum a couple weeks ago, and they'd, they had talked about this. Have you ever ridden a monkey? And I, I said, you're well, like, excuse well, me? It depends on what you're talking <laughs> about me? here. I've ridden a few bikes that felt like monkeys. Right. Well, I think Liza, we were looking at a picture of you, I think, back in the yeah, day on that monkey bike. Yeah, there's a picture of you. There it is. On, right? on the monkey bike. <laughs> That's awesome. And both wheels are off the ground, if I'm looking at it correctly. You have to tell a story, though, about how what your dad did to make this bike faster. Yeah. I love this story. Well, um, my father was very, very competitive and uh, very strict with, uh, with his kids. So we had, uh, we had to stay out of trouble if we wanted to race. And... Um, so when we they back then the rule was uh if you were nine to 11 years old they had a to race in that on that bike that z50 was considered one to three horsepower so but what that meant was you just had to have you know up to three horsepower so uh i was racing against kelly and sean moran they they went on to race uh world championship speedway racing Mm. So, and they were riding a, uh, a bike that you could buy at, at Sears, and it was a Tecumseh. <laughs> yeah. And it was considered three horsepower. And it had a pull, the pull start. start. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. rigid. That thing was exactly. brutal. <laughs> it had, but it was considered three horsepower, but it had a 120cc piston in it. Yeah. And they were absolutely, had so much more torque than we had. Uh, they didn't have a, it, that bike didn't have a, a gearbox. The Honda did, but we just had a little 50 CC and this, they were absolutely destroying us. So one day I was walking to school, I think I was in the fourth grade and my dad pulled up and said, uh, and when I saw him, I thought, what have I done? And, and he goes, <laughs> he goes, he goes, get in the truck and don't tell your mom. And so You're like, oh no, it's worse than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So we, he, uh, we went to Saddleback Park, and that's where we were racing. And but we, this particular day we were testing, and so he wanted he wanted me to. This is my very first test session I had ever done. Hmm. And so he goes, "I've done some work on this thing. I just want you to ride it, see what you think." And I went out, and when I rode this thing, it 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 was like triple the horsepower from <laughs> what I had. I was I was actually able to. Uh, power slide the bike like my heroes did at Ascot. And mm, I was just, cool. it was just amazing. And uh, 
So I, I, I go, Dad, I, I go, what have you done to this? And he just said, nitromethane. <laughs> <laughs> That can't be legal, right? Well, um, my that was one thing that my father was also uh, very adamant about is that he would he would never ever cheat to find a performance game. So so he read the rule book and the rule book just said you must have fuel. It didn't say which kind. <laughs> and, uh, but I but I remember back in those days you would have two hundred little mini bikers all lined up in a huge pack and then it would funnel down into a, like a two lanes to go out onto the track <laughs> and so normally you're just sitting there idling with everybody else but this thing because it was nitromethane had a real foul smell and it would burn your eyes and <laughs> kids are passing out yeah it was it was terrible so <laughs> that's the other advantage yeah. <laughs> yeah they can't race when they're unconscious <laughs> that's right <laughs> so um so as we were getting up close to the to go out onto the track, my dad's okay. Fire it up! So I, I fired it up, thinking I was going to go out, but uh, they had stopped right before I went out. So I had to sit there and idle, and then oh, the next thing you know, you know, people's eyes are burning, and, <laughs> and the the fathers are taking their kid and, and just yanking them off their bike. And nobody had no idea what was going on. Oh, you guys are running a little rich down there. What's going on? <laughs> But we destroyed everybody. But I, I heard that there was a protest that came in about this bike. Yeah, yeah. My we were my dad was pretty good for getting protested. So, <laughs> uh, Mr. Rainey, we, we'd like to talk to you about your bike. Yeah. <laughs> well, they they protested him, but they would not put up the twenty five dollars to tear us down. And that really, that really. So they would call us a cheater. Yeah. But they wouldn't tear us down just yeah. to check everything. Mm -hmm. So my dad put up the money and tore tore himself down just That's to show awesome. everybody. Nice. <laughs> so did they ever go no more nitromethane? Yeah. Must use regular yeah. gas. No, you know what happened to that was my dad helped one of these other racers. Uh, a buddy of his was uh, his kid was racing and and then um, so this was kind of we we had this secret for about. I don't know, three or four months, and then, uh, <laughs> and then uh, Steve McQueen showed up, and and he started his boy Chad McQueen yeah. was racing against us, and uh, this this uh, friend of my father's was saw Steve McQueen as a big star, so he thought he'd go over and share this. Hey, this is what we're doing here, and and Steve McQueen <laughs> thought it was the greatest thing, and then he went over and told. Uh, um, the 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 racing sanctioning body said, you know what that rainy kid's doing over there? You know what they have, kind of fuel they have in that mini like, bike? Yeah, he's winning. That's what he's doing. <laughs> so it was outlawed after that. Yeah, uh, nice. It's it's kind of cool that uh, your dad was the guy that got the rules changed. It's like he's that guy. <laughs> I found that advantage. You know. That's no, you know we throughout my career, my dad built my stuff. And I remember when I raced uh, after mini bikes there. Then we went and raced. My dad always wanted me to ride. Uh, a bike that nobody else was winning on, the racing on. So I grew mm. up with like, Eddie Lawson. <laughs> <laughs> but if that doesn't make you a better racer, I don't know what does. Well, that's yeah. right, because we, we didn't see a lot of checkered flags for many years. You know, we didn't have we didn't have a lot of money, so, you know, my dad would, uh, like, 
if everybody was racing Kawasaki 100 green streaks, I was riding a TM90 Suzuki. And then we would get floor sweepings off. Uh, we had a friend that worked at Suzuki, and he would get us, give us floor sweepings. Mm. So we'd have some spare parts. <laughs> but, uh, but I was a three-year novice, and I raced with, and this is in District 30, District 37 in Southern California, racing dirt track. So I was about, I think I was 12 years old. But so they had these uh, in District 37, you would race on weekends for points. But during the week and down in Southern California back in those days, you could race in every night uh, somewhere different, a dirt track mm. down there within a 50 mile radius. But we never did finish a race for three years. And all the kids that were my age that I was racing with, they went on to be experts in District 37. And here I was a three-year novice because we just never saw the checkered flag. Mm -hmm. We'd be winning, but the thing would disintegrate. (laughs) (laughs) So I have a question for you. You've got such a long career. You've had a lifetime involved with motorcycles. And really a lifetime. We've already established you. You've been messing about with motorbikes since before you were in school. Here we are. It's 2018. I'm not saying what is your legacy. What do you want your legacy to be? How would you like Wayne Rainey to be remembered in the world of motorcycling? For your racing career? For your ownership of a team? You know... Uh, I never really thought about it, really, you know, because I'm still, I'm still in the sport. I'm still, I still love motorcycles. Right. It's, it's. Um, I think we all know the feeling that and the freedom that motorcycles give you. No matter if you're, you know, riding to work, riding down a country road, or or racing them at the highest level, uh, motorcycles have been. It's the only thing I've ever done. It's, it's the only thing I ever thought about. I obviously lost. Uh, I had an injury that I lost the use of, uh, of my body with, so you'd think that why would I still be in this sport messing with bikes? But, you know, it's, um, I never think about what happened and why me and, you know, uh, feel sad because, um, because of what racing motorbikes right. had done to me. And I also think about the opportunities that I had growing up and the feeling that I had racing and being able to uh, race in, in our local championships onto the AMA championship and then being um, good enough to be recognized to go over and race overseas and then also going on to be world champion. So uh, why I just feel that it's my... It, I'm in a situation where I can help the next generation and I want to see racers get the opportunity that I had and I just don't feel that has happened here like it was when I was racing Mm. and so I'm trying to give back what the sport has given me. That's a great answer. So your legacy is actually an ongoing thing right now because those of us who have had a lifetime with motorcycling. And myself and Liza, we've been messing about with bikes, not as long as you, but I've been messing about with them for 40 plus years. Liza as well. And I'm at the stage where if I can get younger people interested in motorbikes 
and carrying on. They're a wonderful thing. I mean, in this sterile world we live in, we've kind of escaped. I mean, motorcycling, it's, it's, it's so good. It really shouldn't be allowed. But somehow motorbiking yeah. has escaped all the rules and regulations and the sanctions that we get these days, and we can still have fun with it. And actually, that brings me, I'd, I'd like to talk about current state now in in Moto America because there's been some rule changes. Um, can you describe what those changes are and why they were put in place? Yeah, when when we started the 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 main class was uh, was superbike. That's what you know they always wanted. That's what they had had always raced in. They had their own teams and stuff. Mm. Can you quickly can you state the classes of racing so people know? Okay, so we. Uh, we have Superbike as our main class, and uh, for three years we had stock 1000s racing with uh, Superbikes because we did not have enough Superbikes. Mm. So we were able to race the stock 1000s, and it's just a street bike that mm-hmm. uh, that you modify. But every year, every year for the last three years, we had modified the rule of the stock 1000 so they could be closer and more competitive with Superbikes. And and last year at the last race, we actually had a stock 1000 team. Matthew Skoltz, the rider from South Africa, he won the race and beat the factory guys at the last race. So we mm. thought it's time to change now and split the class because when you have superbikes and stock 1000 racing together and you have new fans that you're trying to get to come back to the sport, you're trying to attract the old fans to come back to support the, the series. And then you see there's this mixed classes it, it just didn't make sense as as it being a real high level it seemed more like a like an endurance race when you looked at all the different bikes out there it was confusing yeah you know you'd have a guy that finished on the racetrack he finished fifth but he won his class and that's very hard to explain to somebody that you're trying to get them to support the sport so for this year 2018 we have split the class so it's super bikes are going to be back as a superbike class in, um, independent and then the stock 1000 we basically uh, uh, took all the performance parts back off those bikes and made it would it, it'd probably be a bit more um, less expensive to to race mm. but we are going to use the stock 1000 class as a support race and also we're hopefully we're going to find new talent from that class and then the the probably the second most important class underneath Superbike, but it was going to be our Super Sport 600 class. So in the past, we've had the same thing. There was not that many Super Sport teams, so we had to combine it with a stock 600 class, which is the same issues we just talked about. So what we've done for this year is we've taken the rules and we've taken some of the performance out of the stock, out of the uh, Super Sport bike and we've just combined the class so everybody now is racing in in super sports 600 mm. and so everybody we feel is going to be it can be competitive against the top teams those advantages that the top teams have will not have those as they have in the past and then we have a new class um we're still naming the class i kind of like moto america twins i think i just saw that with um somebody had wrote in and, and i think uh, maybe I'm talking a little soon here on that before they announce it. <laughs> you, heard, you heard it here first. This is a Misfits exclusive. Yeah. Keep talking, Wayne. But uh, this is an interesting class. This uh, this is one I think my father would really enjoy because 
you know, the way motorcycles are now, they're so complicated with the electronics and all the, um, the, in racing, they were already at a high level. It was very difficult to tune the bike. Yeah. So this twins class, we call it, it's like for a tuners class. So you can, the rule is, well, the, the only rule is that you cannot touch the chassis. The chassis has to stay stock. Mm. But you can do what you want to the motor. It's up to 800 cc's, no nitromethane. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <That's> alert. <laughs> yeah. So, but you can put your, you know, you can modify the suspension. So, um, you can, you know, work with the horsepower of the motor and cams and stuff but you know you got to finish the race yeah so we're that we have a lot of interest in that we think that's going to be fun and then finally is the junior cup which we've talked about earlier nice so moto america um you took that over 2014 i think 2015 was our first 2015 year. but you were also a big part of bringing racing back here to laguna seca weren't you uh, yes. So thank you. Because <laughs> I was there for that first GP. That was is that right? That was huge. Yeah, that kind of caught everybody out. We, yeah. we um I think there was a, over one hundred and sixty thousand people there for three days. Yikes! Wow. And awesome. there was uh, it's like Europe. Yeah, it was. It really was. Uh, it actually they had to limit it after the first year. It was the most people they had ever had inside that facility, even when the Pope visited. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's a higher religion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. National religion. Yeah. And uh, so when we brought that in, um, there was a six-hour line. Uh, it took some people six hours to get mm -hmm. out of the place. Mm -hmm. I remember so, that. Yeah. So there was a lot of adjustments. And then the, uh, they had to you know redo the track a little bit. They had to resurface it, I think, a few times. But, mm. but yeah, Jill Campbell there... Um, um, had talked to me about, do you think we could get uh, the MotoGP here? And so I said, well, let's go. Let's go talk to the guy that can let us know. Carmelo Espeleta, he was the guy, the CEO of Dorna mm -hmm. of uh, MotoGP, and and so the timing was right. Yeah, it was excellent. I was in one of the pit row suites too with my friends. It was so exciting to be there. So, <clears throat> how do you get a curve named after you? <laughs> Oh, well, that was a surprise. I had um, uh, no idea. I think, you know, I I had raced at Laguna Seca in 1982. I, and I had raced, I'd won, I'd probably won nationals out there. I probably won over 10 nationals here at the track. Mm. I ended up moving up to up here because um, I enjoyed the area so much. And being down in Southern California, I could not train the way you needed to train. So we uh, we built a house. My wife and I came up here, and I was actually in the house about six months. And then I had my racing accident. And um, so I guess, I don't know how much time had gone by, I guess about... I don't know what year the the GP came back. Was that 06? Or? Uh, yeah, it was like, four, it was like four, 13 years ago, I think. Was it? I'd have to look it up. Yeah. yeah. I think it was, it was in that. Yeah. So from, you know, after my accident, I had, you know, run teams and then I'd stop that after five or six years. And then I was just home and, and then we got the GP back and, and, uh, yeah. So they named that corner. I was, I was shocked. 
Hmm. Except I still have to go out there and sweep, sweep it to keep it clean. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, Liza, they yeah. are. Um, there is actually a corner at Laguna Seca named after me. Well, I should point out, I am changing my name to Miss Corkscrew. But <laughs> nevertheless, it amounts to the same thing, right? Nice. But if you want to watch some exciting racing, is watch the, some of the racing you did at Laguna. What was the, the race? It escapes me at the moment where you uh, you did something in the qualifying and you had to start, or, or miss start and you had to start at the back of the pack. Yeah, so uh, that was in Superbike, and yeah. and um, Bubba Schobert was my teammate. He was the best man at my wedding, and a guy I got in a lot of trouble with. And uh, but this particular day, he was also a betting man, mm. and so I bet him a dollar that I could beat him to the first turn, and we we uh, both ended up jumping the start, so we had to start <laughs> the main event from the back. And, <laughs> And so I, I got the dollar though. Yeah. yeah well, the, the amazing thing. So I'm watching that race, and uh, the amazing thing is, is you start in the back, and I feel like I blinked, and you're in eighth place. It was amazing. It was just such an exciting race to watch. It was great. Goosebumps. Well, that, uh, you know, that was the old circuit. So that was when turn one and two was, you know, fourth and fifth gear. It didn't have the loop, the Andretti hairpin and loop that they do now. And it was that track was was an amazing um, track to ride on. And uh, of course, I was on the the factory Honda there. And I think the carburetors on my Honda probably cost more than a couple of the guys' bikes that I was racing against. It was it was a pretty special bike. Yeah, yeah. So, Honda have always enjoyed their technology, haven't they? Oh yeah, yeah. So, oh, yeah. but we did mention though. Yeah, you. It is very well known. You did have a career-ending crash on motorcycles, but it didn't end your career on the track. One of my favorite headlines that I found, and I wish I had seen this. This is the headline in article. Racing legends, Rainey, Roberts, Lawson, and Rossi to cart today at Laguna Seca. Oh my gosh. Was this this at one of the races, or was this a, a karting event? And how crazy was it? Well, it was one of my stupid ideas, I think, in the <laughs> end, because it was, it was good. All it, the best ones are. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, it was during the Grand Prix, during yeah. MotoGP. And I had this idea with Yamaha, Bob Starr, and I said, hey, you guys, are, you guys are sponsoring the race. I said, I'm racing these supercars, Eddie and I. I said, I can get a couple more. And, and I said, let's bring Kenny. And let's get Rossi on one, and we'll just do a little exhibition. We'll just go out there and play around. <laughs> so it's so, a little exhibition, quote unquote. <laughs> yeah. So we they ended up paying. For, we rented the track. We shook down all four carts, and um, you know we had tires. We, we had everything done. And so uh, Eddie, though he was being a really a nice guy, and so Eddie took his TZ, the the one that had all the titanium and all the 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 weapon, mm-hmm. and he gave it to Rossi. <laughs> and Eddie rode his 250 single because in Eddie's mind, we were just going to ride around and just pass each other and nobody would know the difference. So, but that got lost in translation with Rossi. Yeah, as soon as you got on the grid, that was out the door. <laughs> yeah, well, so, you know, and he's racing in the Grand Prix. So we, we, we show up at the, on the pre-grid and we tell, and I tell um, Valentino, I said, what we're going to do, we're just going to, we're going to go out and we'll just do a couple laps and we'll just, you know, play with each other for three or four laps. We, there's no, and I told him I was going to win, but, uh, yeah, no, but what happened was, is that we went out 
But when we went out onto the track, we went out really fast. Well, Rossi thought that we were going to go slow. So we had, we had taken off just to warm tires up and stuff. But when we got to the third turn, Kenny Roberts' cart threw a chain. Mm. So what we did is so we had to come back in. We had to wait for Kenny to bring the car back to fix this chain. So... I said, okay, let's go. We got it all fixed. So when we went again, Rossi just took off because he thought that's what we, but everything we, by then everything was warm. So we were just cruised around and Rossi just, he just kept going, never turned around. And, um, Eddie never got over that. He is still upset. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Yeah. That's awesome. And the, and. For people who aren't familiar with carts, these things are not a joke. Yeah, these things yeah. go, what's like top speed on a cart? Yeah, there. Uh, I think we saw about 130 plus. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. One of my favorite things about that story is your dad built a cart too, right? He built all those carts. That's yeah. awesome. He built all the carts for, my, for Eddie and I. And, and um, uh, like, you know, Eddie was riding a single that was a 250 Yamaha single. And, and Valentino was in his cart. That was a Yamaha twin tz the one kenny had mine it was just like my dad built all those and mm. uh, that's cool yeah you're only like what two inches off the ground on those if that yeah you're very low okay. yeah that's ridiculous and i guess they can take the curves pretty fast too because i had heard at one point that uh, i think this was about 10 years ago that the track current track rec- track record at laguna seca was on a cart that somebody had said yeah um i so not, they're they're fast because yeah. you get all vehicles on well, that track yeah, any you know that's, that's the thing. You know, racing a car is no different really than racing a a car. You know, you ha- you have all that rubber. You have you know down. You know, we had wings on our cart, so it was it was creating downforce, so mm. you could break very deep. You could go around the corner in a cart. You could go around a corner in fourth gear. Where on a motorcycle, that would be second gear. Because mm. you know the the contact patch of a motorcycle is about the size of your fist. Yeah, and of course on a on a cart, you're you got more than a foot. So, um, yeah, that was, a, you know, racing carts you, you, uh, and cars, you have different lines um, when you approach a corner than you do on a motorcycle. So there's, there's a little adjustment there between uh, racing cars and bikes on how you approach corner. Now, I'm just curious, though. I mean, so you're in a chair now. Does that stop you from racing? Like, are you still going out there on vehicles or chairs and do you just still have are you competitive uh you know i was um so after my racing accident in 93 uh eddie lawson um and my father built me this cart and so they they put a roll cage on it and and carts are made to flex they're not really made to have Mm -hmm. a roll cage but with my case being not being able to get out of the cart if i had an issue so I was, you know, I was Velcroed into the cart and, uh, but they, you know, we built hand, uh, handlebars and Dan Gurney had built me a special front brake that was also had a brake bias for the rear brake. It was only one in the world that, 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 uh, that worked. And, um, so I could see that I could be competitive and, and so I went from thinking, well, okay, well, it's, you know, the racing thing's done to getting back in this thing and then going, 
more going faster and faster and getting more comfortable and then i see then i'm you know signing up and i'm racing against <laughs> other supercar guys and now i'm traveling to you know uh to arizona and to vegas and and i'm doing all this racing and then finally at i think it was firebird raceway eddie and i we were racing each other and and i um i held off eddie until the very last lap when i missed a shit and and so I was pretty competitive considering I couldn't feel nothing below my my chest. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I was – and that was the part where I, I had an issue on the track where I was a real fast turn. And, and it, as they say when you drive by the seat of your pants, I was driving by my shoulders. Mm-hmm. So when the cart stepped out in a fifth-gear corner, I, I was late to catch it. And what happened was is that it swapped ends, and I ended up – spinning back to the inside of this fifth gear corner into the dirt and then back out onto the in front of the pack and but Mm. there was dirt and nobody could see me and i could just and i was stopped now and i could i could hear cars going wow 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 so and then i thought you know and i looked at my hands and i go this is i don't want to lose these so i just wound it down from that point but that, i was that's very what it competitive took. yeah that's what it took yeah nice well um i know that i i really want to talk about some bike comparisons but i do want to leave time to make sure we get to talk about the bike that's in the other room but if you could talk about the difference between the bikes then when you were racing and the bikes now and does it take a completely different racer or is it is it the same skills? Is it a different kind of crazy? Like, no. could you put Randy no. Mamola on a modern bike, and what would he do? You know, um, Randy. See, how old is he? He, yeah, he could probably still go pretty good on a MotoGP. No, bike. I think I think the more pertinent question is: Could you take a current competitive racer? And put him on your bike. Oh, yeah. Or even be, further that. back, put him on Barry Sheen's RG500, yeah. which was pushing 100 horsepower. That's it. Back yeah. in the 70s. Yeah. And how competitive, because you talk about CD of pants. That thing out there, that's CD of pants riding. Those things were beasts. Those, those bikes there, that bike in there was... Um, um, a pretty wicked ride to yeah. uh, to control, but one that um, I thoroughly enjoyed so much because it was it was it was all the challenge I could ever ask for. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, what do you think Rossi would do with it? Well, he actually raced two strokes, right? Yeah. So and, he's kind of half used to it, but he's still used to a more modern chassis. Yeah. Well, Rossi will tell you that the current bikes were uh, to a certain degree much easier to adapt to mm-hmm. than the old bikes there were these those bikes in there those 502 strokes were very very unforgiving mm-hmm. because yeah. there was no first of all the the torque character of a two stroke is one that unless you rode one it's it's um it's it's difficult to explain the feeling of how it worked except you aim the bike because right. The, the two-stroke had, there was no torque below 9,000 RPM, and then it exploded to just 12,000 RPM. So you had about four or 5,000 RPM that you were uh, racing with and having to control the bike. And, 
And and back in those days, we had you know two or three hundred different gearbox ratio differences that we could play with. And and at every circuit, I was always constantly trying to find twenty five RPM in a certain gear combination, mm-hmm. it, like for a second gear corner somewhere. And that's what that we were down to those minute um, RPM uh, differences because of the way that when the the explosion of the two-stroke was not linear, whereas the you know, a four-stroke bike, like a superbike or, or a MotoGP bike, is very linear. So when you open the throttle at 3,000 RPM, it it's just flat torque range. It pushes real hard, but it's it doesn't explode. It's pretty it's pretty smooth all the way up to the top. Yeah. And then you add you know then those bikes have uh, 260 horsepower. I'm told. And then you add the electronics where you can control what that torque does and how you go through the corner uh, with uh, traction control, wheelie control, uh, the side slip. There's so much stuff that you can do to these bikes and. So if you really look at what that bike is and what they currently have now, and then you just you say, okay, so where's the where's the safety difference? Well, uh, the good guys are most of them um, high sided the bike, mm. but now you rarely see a high side. Yeah. Most of the guys lose the front on the brakes because there is no electronic assist on the brakes. Mm. So. That's the big difference. I, I wonder sometimes if uh, Rossi's success has somewhat contributed to the fact he rode those old two-stroke bikes, you know, and had that experience, and maybe that's helped him throughout his career, or is he just that gifted of a rider? I think it's all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, he's a, he races in a country where uh, motorbikes are, are a part of um, um, uh, the psychic of, you know, I mean, the, your, the grandmother in rides to the bread store right. on her scooter. Yeah, everyday life. Right. right. I mean, every, nice. everybody rides yep. a motorcycle over there. So not only that, it's it's Italy and all the passion uh, for racing that they have, uh, whether it's car or bikes, you know, Giacomo Agostini. Uh, there's a lot of history there. And, you know, it's Grand Prix was um, founded in Europe. And so Rossi was able, when he started, I think uh, was after, I know it was after I had stopped, but he had, he had started right when the internet took off. You know, when I raced, there was no cell phones and no internet. Mm-hmm. And he started when all that started going. And then so, in of course, his personality was perfect for it. So, um, uh, how did you? This is kind of like a weird question. How did you eventually just sort out that particular bike in there? I mean, it was just trial and error. How did you start your setups? I mean, just well, I raced in an era that I was. That um, we were able to ride. The, there was no restrictions on mm. how much you went testing. Mm. So, in in my, um, I explained a little bit earlier where, where my dad always wanted me to ride on different bikes that nobody else had. I was the same way with tires. Mm. So. Most of my competitors in Grand Prix raced on Michelin tires. Well, I raced on Dunlops. So, being the the sole Dunlop Works team, I would I would develop the tire specifically to my style, which yeah. was really an advantage. Yeah. And many times I won the I won a Grand Prix in the first five laps of the race because I could gap them because I had tested on in four days i'd test 500 tires wow. so i would get pretty doggone good on cold tires of what it was like 
what the bike needed to do. Yeah. And so when the bike was moving around at the beginning of the race, that was all that was all easy stuff. Yeah. Well, speaking of the bike, right in the other room, we have the YZR 500 from the 89 series. Can we go in there and take a look at it? I think it's... I, Unless it's unless it's been unless changed. It, unless it's been changed because you don't know what they have over there. I think it's the ninety-one bike. <laughs> All right. Oh wait, no, it's the ninety bike. It's okay. the ninety bike. Yeah, I'll, I'll believe you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it got number two? I'll on? believe you over Wikipedia yeah. and, and the signage on the I, bike. I would like to point out I've I've got many motorsexual urges for that bike. Oh, you just keep that. <laughs> but also, hey. And I wanted to, before we go in there, I wanted to thank you for coming out. And I especially wanted to thank um, Rob Talbot and his guys, you know, Bobby and Greg and Rich here at Moto Talbot Museum. Um, this place is truly a gem that we have here. It's a, it's a fabulous place. When I walked really in this is. morning, I was like, I never get tired of coming down here. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, so I wanted to thank them. Actually, Rob and Bobby are in Vegas at an auction right now. Spending, so making knows? it rain. Who making knows? It rain. What else is that is what you do in up? Vegas? Spend money. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Well, so check his Instagram tonight because I'm sure he'll be taking oh, a photo of the bike that I he know. bought. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, let's go in the other room and check out that bike. All right. Cool. Cool. Zero3D.com features a wide variety of innovative products for the Harley touring market, as well as other types. Hey Liza, that's us. We're the other types. I'm checking out this site right now. They have a well-rounded product line, from chrome to lighting and comfort. Hell yeah they do, they got a lot of chrome. And a bunch of LED lighting accessories. You know what that means, right? Less stress on your stator. Zero3D.com takes a clean slate approach to design and manufacturing. Yeah, I'm checking out the Cypher Air Cleaner. It's pretty minimalist, but it still has exotic styling. Distributed in the United States by Drag Specialties, in Europe, Parts Europe and Zodiac, and in Asia by Twin Art. Passion for design and innovation. Always something new to see at Ciro3D.com. Yo, Liza, why are you talking like that? Because the ladies love it. <laughs> I like it. Hey, Nock, can you describe what we are looking at here? Okay. Um, this is a GP bike? That, is that a question? <laughs> now, what it's it looks like, from what I can tell, this is the forefront of 1990 of motorcycle technology. Um, the fairings aren't carbon fiber like as they are now. They're... Um, uh, fiberglass from what it looks like although the brake rotors and the brake rotor covers and the ducts are carbon fiber um, the rotors are they look like 220 maybe 250 60 millimeter uh, in diameter but they're like 10 millimeters thick and uh, my guess is uh, yeah they're super light uh, the brakes are not radial they are axial but there are two mounting holes, uh, two sets of mounting holes for if they wanted to swap larger rotors, they could just move the unit up and down. Whereas the radial ones now, they just put a couple of shims and move it outwards. Um, tons of pipe work, but it's all hidden. You can't really see it from this side. They're all on the other side. Um, remote adjuster for the rear preload from what we were trying to figure out. 
Uh, we were trying to figure out if that was actually used in situ or if it was just a setup and you left it alone or if it's something that you just said as the tire wore or whatever as or the suspension heats up or the liquid heats up in there uh the damping changes um Olin's front forks and this is one of the coolest things i saw i never seen before <clears throat> the portion where you would put the fork seals and the dust seals they're knurled and it looks like they're threaded on there if you could look closely, you could see threads just underneath uh, where the upper fork yeah, tube stops. And so I'm, I'm guessing those neurals are designed so you could, you know, it's designed to be removable. That's my guess. Um, I, I can't figure out why they would do it that way, but that's what it looks like. Yeah. Well, I know who we can ask about that. Who's that? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so we're looking at the Yamaha YZR500. Wayne, we've got we've got some questions for you already. So, um, first question: Knock had a question about the fork seals. They leak. <laughs> is that why the knurled knob is that is that screw on there? Yes. Yeah. So, you know these these forks were built just for this bike, just yeah. for this Grand Prix racing, and um, yeah. So this bike. This, this is an interesting story. Yamaha had never given a Grand Prix bike away to anybody, not even to Kenny Roberts. Wow. And he was three-time world champion, their first world champion. And then um, after my racing accident in 93, uh, so I was, uh, I was in the hospital rehab for 11 weeks and I came home and this bike was in my driveway. So, uh, yeah. So they had given me this bike, and it was just, and so I was injured in 93. This bike was the first bike that I won my first world championship on in 1990. So this was just as it was when they, when they took it off the track when I rode it. Um, it was actually the last, we raced at Phillip Island, and then they did a big test at uh, Eastern Creek in Australia. And that was just as it was, and they, they took it, from there and they put it in a crate and it was just sitting wherever it was in the factory and then so they gave it to me this has like track mojo on it this yeah is, you know well it it did but then it uh as you can see some it's it's yeah it obviously it's just like it you know it's it's getting older now sure but so uh, can we get to basics um we're going to include a lot of pictures on this on our website so as people listen to the podcast they can see your actual bike it's 500 cc to two stroke yep. four cylinder four cylinder v4 v4 okay magnesium cases yes magnesium carburetors about 160 horsepower yeah i think so but Some very lightweight I think it weighed, uh, what is it, 115 kilos, whatever that is. Okay. Not much. No. So I think it's... 260 yeah, it's like pounds? Something like that, yeah. yeah. That's insane. It's yeah. nuts, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And, uh. and these tires were from 1990, so, you know, the, the rubber that they race on now is so much different than what we... So if, so if you was to take Mark Marquez and put him on this bike with this... Um, with the rubber that we raced on. He'd last to the first corner. Well, he'd be going, wow, <laughs> this is quite a bit different than what I'm used to. But he would, be, he would get used to it, though. He's okay. Um, so where would the power be? About 11,000? 
Um, it starts signing off at about uh, 11.5. It starts to, uh, like starting the over rev. It over revs to 12, but it would, so most corners, when I would start to pick the throttle up, would probably be around uh, 8,000 RPM is where it starts to run. Mm -hmm. So if, if I was to open the throttle in a corner at 5,000 RPM, I'm just got it on idle. You know, with these bikes, you, the, the most, the, the dangerous point on a Grand Prix 502 stroke was at maximum bank angle underneath the power band mm. because the thing was loaded up and then when the bike, when you just open the throttle, it, it just starts to idle, it just starts to run. But, you know, you're, say you're in a, let's say you're in a fourth gear corner, so you're going well over, you know, close to 100 miles an hour, let's say. And then as you start to get it close to 8,000 RPM is when it, it starts to run, it starts to go. And so I always called it being ahead of the bike because at that point you know that that's when all the action starts. And so I was always trying to um, predict what the bike was going to do before it happened. Mm. So that's why I think I had success the way I did is because I, I, had, I had tested the tire so much and I had ridden the bike so much that I, had, I anticipated what it was going to do before it happened. And I'd imagine, too, the tires got drastically horrible towards the end and became more unpredictable? Or is that one of those things that you kind of got an idea of how unpredictable it got? Like, Yeah, you know, back then, uh, you know, there, were, there was times when I would be testing tires on race morning, still yeah. not knowing what we were going to race. It's quite a bit different now because everybody's got to basically choose from three or four tires. Mm. Back then, um, especially when you were the only manufacturer on Dunlop, um, then it was very critical on how much, when the, where the performance of the tires started to drop off, and they all did in, the, in those days. Mm -hmm. So you'd have to, sometimes you have to give up a little bit of performance just so you could have a little more performance at the end of the race. So sure. there's always mm -hmm. a, there was a strategy to it. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for coming out here today. I know you got to get onto the road. Um, I hope in the future we can meet with you again because we'd love to spend more time getting into your, your past career, but also as things are unfolding and happening in Moto America. So um, the new season starts, is it March? It's in uh, April, and our first race this year is in Atlanta. So it's one week before the MotoGP race in Texas that will that will be our second event. Mm. But then we're racing at uh, in Sears Point. Actually, have that. Mm. We're racing at Sears Point now. Sears Point that would be a, a good race for you guys to attend. Yeah. That or okay, Laguna right Seca. Right, Laguna Seca, I believe, is the weekend of June twenty second through twenty fourth. Yeah. So yeah, so they moved Laguna up up this year, and then um, so yeah, I got yeah. it on my calendar. So it's uh, it's the Cycle Gear Championship of Sonoma, and that's August 10th through the the 12th. Nice, oh, cool. But that we have Moto America this year is doing three events where we are bringing music as a part of the um, the event, like DJs. So, no music, no? Like, really? Like, music. Like, like big band, not a big band. A uh, well-known band right. is going to come play. We haven't uh, we're not haven't announced it yet. But it's going to be one everybody knows. So if you love Leonard Skinner, this yeah. is an opportunity. <laughs> the ghost of Van uh, Awesome. Well, um, in wrapping, I would love to get a photo with you with a bike to use if we can. Uh, if I could do my ass kissy bit, um, Wayne, you are a true ambassador 
for the sport yes. and motorcycling in general. So thank you. Thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you for your future within this sport. It, it, I'm really awestruck by the whole thing. Well, very kind words. Thank you very much. Awesome. You're very welcome. Thanks a lot, Wayne. Let's get a photo. Okay. <laughs> okay, guys. So that just happened. That was fucking cool, man. That was it was cool. cooler than oh, cool. Geez. Knock. That's how I, I know what it's like to touch a winner now. That's yeah. just what's up. Wait, you touched his what? <laughs> I will say. Maybe. We have, when we said goodbye and shook hands, I immediately held my hand up, walked over to my motorcycle, oh, yeah. gripped the <laughs> throttle, and transferred the mojo into my throttle. That was a, That's that winning mojo, dude. Oh, yeah. I, I feel bad. I have a bit of a, a confession to make. I've been out here to the museum twice, and two of the three times uh, Mr. Rainey's actually been here. I was here when they dropped that bike off last year, I think. Yeah. Uh, so I felt a little, like... I don't know. Uh, what's, what's, what's that thing when you when you remember something? Deja vu. Deja vu. Yeah. I felt a little yeah. deja vu. I was back here again, and I was like, "Ah, this guy just must just must hang out here." <laughs> you get to talk to him this time, though. But you know, I'm going to do my ass kissy thing again. I mean, what a gentleman, and what a great ambassador for the sport. He's a chill dude, man. He really dude. is. That's like our highest compliment, is it? If you're it is, a chill if dude, you're a chill dude. That's like the highest compliment. You could hang in with us and drink beers in the yard. Mm-hmm. Oh no, he totally hang out, hang yeah. with us and drink beers. And yeah. he's fast. Yeah, he's fast. <laughs> no, no, it was. Um, it, yeah, it was great talking to, to Wayne Rainey, and and we barely touched on his career, but the reason that. He's, he's so accomplished and uh, well-known is because he was an amazing writer, even though I think his GP career was only like five years. Yep, it, yeah. was, five, yeah. it was five years. We had the most out of one, three out of those five, you know. It's a, it's yeah. pretty awesome five. So, <laughs> yeah. if you are one of our younger listeners and you're like, Wayne who? Research Wayne Rainey and be blown away. And remember... Wayne Rainey was winning races in the late 80s and early 90s with less horsepower than the ZX-10 has now. A lot less weight, of course. Well, they're also like vaguely, barely manageable bikes that had to be ridden, you know... The unrideable, crazily, yeah. Well, yeah. well, a lot of times Wayne, you know, you look at the interviews and stuff. He'll talk about the, just the fear he had riding those bikes. I think he rode a thousand CC bikes prior to going back down to 500s. He basically was terrifying. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Yet they still go. Well, and you know, we again for those who aren't that familiar with him, we mentioned his crash in '93, <clears throat> and it was. Uh, there's some great videos and and a lot of interviews we found in doing our research talking about that. Yeah. Um, but you know, he was riding. He had crashed the week before, and had like a cracked vertebrae and I think a broken rib and some some ailments that he didn't report because he didn't want to be held out from racing that tells you the level of of racing these guys are doing that they'll ride injured they do it hurt man they'll do it hurt and then he said when he crashed he wasn't riding 100 percent. he was riding like 75 percent and just just didn't pay attention and wash the front end out in a turn which so many crashes now just it's a low slide you don't get injured i was I was going to say, this is why there's been so much more technology into the corners right. in yeah. tracks. Because he went off the track and into the gravel, but there were some, like, 
ditches or bumps in the gravel. It's like raked gravel or something they call it. But I was watching mm-hmm. MotoGP. They got the testing has already has started for the coming mm-hmm. season. I think they're in Spain and they were talking about Marquez. And I want to say they said he crashed not in actual racing, but on you know between Saturday and Sundays, mostly on Saturdays, crashed like 47 times last year. Yeah. And they showed every one. It's like a little short clip you can watch. And that's just they, now crashing is part of racing. I mean. And just, anyway, very different times. Well, and also, um, I think MotoGP just announced that they're going to require riders to wear the airbags, yeah. airbag suits. Mm-hmm. So there's I the, got airbags. The, the, technolo- the technology That's and the safety airbag. gear, technology and the bikes, technology and the tracks mm-hmm. that prevents accidents like that from happening yeah. today. But I love that that didn't stop him. No. And he went from that <clears throat> to becoming a, a team owner. And it just shows that... You know, you know, we say we we're, were we were born this way. We're riders, you know, and like, and even if you can't swing a leg over a bike, it doesn't stop you, and it doesn't stop the community from accepting it. Right, and I don't know whether you read between the lines when I asked him about what he wanted his legacy to be. The subject of the accident came up, and his overcoming that, mm-hmm. and he specifically said. You know, it's it's a life-changing accident. You can't. He couldn't feel anything below his chest, and still can't. So rather than sit at home and feel sorry for himself, he's overcome, and he's still very, very active in the motorcycling community. That is a hell of a legacy in itself. Yeah, you know, you figure for anybody here that knows, or anybody who does racing, um, when you're going a hundred something miles an hour in a turn or whatever, doing your thing that makes motorcycling special and amazing for you. How do you, you don't, you just don't give that up. I mean, if you're super into it and you realize you're in this for, for life, you just, you just don't give it up. You, you get into it somehow, some way. It's always uh, in the periphery. Like, you might be in a car or something and you see somebody zip by and go, oh, fuck, what kind of bike is that? Like, you know what I mean? <clears throat> it's always there. So, I mean, I, I, you really see that with Wing. Well, and the, the step beyond that is he's taking that passion for motorcycling and giving back and trying to bring yeah. the fast bikes yes. back to America. Find those new American riders, inspire them. It's amazing. Get back to, to Emma's legacy comment. I think what better legacy than to do what he's already done, which is bring motorcycling to America, like when he brought MotoGP to I, Laguna. I think about like how he was kind of forced to be a misfit because his pops would always give him the sh- these shit bikes. Yeah, <laughs> and like, you, 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 you got to figure this out, dude. Like, And what do you do if you're a misfit? You end up having to figure it stuff out mm-hmm. on your own. A lot of yeah. the times, you know. I also really loved how often he mentioned his dad. Yeah. From his beginnings of his career, during his career, to after his career when his dad is gone, how things he's so proud his dad got to see or wished he could have seen. Yeah, yeah. when he got back yeah. on the track with those carts, it was his dad that was building those carts. I mean, that's that's yeah. pretty cool. I mean, that's, you know. Hell of an enabler, I tell you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Liza, what was your favorite part of the interview? Um... I just love how easy he is to talk to, but also the fact that it's kind of underplayed. You know, we've been talking a lot about the, the give a shift yeah. movement and how do we get, you know, motorcycles back on track here in the U.S. And the thing is, yeah, there's no American racers in the GP, but there's not a lot of Americans attending races mm-hmm. right now. Yep. <clears throat> That's the thing. Even, you know, Moto America, like going to the races and experiencing this amazing culture, Americans aren't doing that. But Wayne is doing what he can to make it better, you know, not just from <clears throat> making it uh, 
affordable or easier for younger riders or for uh, current riders uh, make it affordable for their bikes but also as he, he was talking about in this coming year Moto America bringing bands to the events he's trying to attract yeah. more people so he's a well, huge player in American American motorcycling right now you know what struck me what he said in that interview was he wants people to have what he had yeah have those you know? experiences yeah. yeah and that's that's <clears throat> yeah that's like aren't we all like that as motorcyclists it's like motorcycles fucking awesome well it's great to share right yeah right yeah yeah so yeah go check out Wayne Rainey a lot of the stuff we were talking on um, came from interviews we found on YouTube there's I'll put some links in the show notes for some of these videos and I encourage people go to the races go to the races there's a lot there's a lot I mean I was looking at the Misfits calendar and I think we should post kind of the Misfits calendar up because it's starting to come together. And if you look at the number of motorcycle events going on, there's all sorts of stuff oh, all yeah. the time. Yeah, Racing, shows. Life, I mean, it's it's really exciting. But, yeah, go watch stuff. And, you know... Pay that money. It doesn't matter what kind of racing... Oh, Harley's coming back. Oh, Harley! <laughs> it doesn't matter what kind of racing... You watch. I mean, my mind goes back to vintage days. Yeah, yeah. Seeing that vintage racing. Oh my oh, yeah. God, that was so. It's edge of your seat stuff. Yeah. So find your local racetrack. Find out when they're racing motorcycles. Go see it. You know, it made me think. So we're we're going to go to AMA Vintage Days. And yes, they have the we vintage are. Vintage racing. Hey, Greg. Any chance we can borrow uh, Wayne's bike for the vintage races this summer in Ohio? Yeah. What could go wrong with that? No. Who, knock. You want to ride it? Yeah. Why not? <laughs> why not? Ride it up. I, who wants to live forever, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, that thing should just start right up, right, Greg? Yeah, a little bump. There you go. There you go. So, yeah, big thanks again to Greg here, uh, Rich, Rob, Bobby, everyone at Moto Talbot Museum. We're sitting here in the sun enjoying sandwiches at the table. Not only can you come check out bikes and and talk about about bikes, but they've got nice chairs and tables out here. You can just hang out and just soak it up. And And then you can ride up Carmel Valley Road out, out. Right. Oh, you know, yeah. go east of here for some of the um, best motorcycle riding uh, everywhere. Uh, Out to yeah. Kolinga or wherever you want to yeah. go. I, I think Liza's lunch choice should get an honorable mention. Liza is in possession of the largest <laughs> Rice Krispie <laughs> treat I have ever seen. It's a Rice Krispie <laughs> loaf. It's like a brick. You're going you're gonna to get instant diabetes. Can yeah, I help? Can I help? Yeah, get the beatus. I think a better <laughs> choice would be throwing it through someone's window and doing a smash and grab. Just like a bunk. Nice. So, I think this is the part of the show where we thank everyone for listening. Yes. yes. Thanks, guys. And Thanks for listening. Since Zach isn't here, not, can you tell everyone how to reach us? You can reach us at Recycle Motorcycle Garage at gmail.com. You can find our Facebook page at Recycle Garage. Yeah. You're, you're, you're guessing now, aren't you? Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> you can re- call us at uh, your mom's house. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. And it all falls apart. And there. Instagram. And Check out Instagram, Recycle underscore Garage. Yeah. You're right. We we don't promote the Instagram a lot, but, but Jim... Uh, well, Liza still has a, an AOL account, so right. that's right. And just in case you haven't been <laughs> listening for the past few weeks, if you send us a stamped addressed envelope, we're going to send you some Ace stickers. And they oh, are Ace. Bike. Got one on my bike. Ace stickers? 
Some stickers. Some stickers, and they are ace. Ace. Oh, sorry. Not a sticker. I need to put my speaking. (laughs) Nice. So on that note, I think we're ready to get out of here. Thanks again. This is Liza. Emma Darling. Naked Jim. Yeah, what's up? (laughs) And Michael. And we're out of here. Cool, Cool, cool.